This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. We are so glad that you're with us today. And we have Chad Sutton from Quattro Capital. And today we are talking about commercial buildings, buying multifamily units, amplifying your wealth, amplifying your life, and creating passive income, which you know that is one of the things our company is passionate about teaching you what to do. So we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of investing in multifamily versus residential and all kinds of fun stuff. So Chad, welcome. Hey, thank you. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Glad to be here. Well, let's dive right in because I want to first talk about the benefits of, well, first I want to ask you about the market. What is the, the real estate market? One of the things about you is you know real estate across the country globally. So if someone asks you what's going on residentially in the market, what's going on commercially in the market, how would you respond to that? You know, Chantel, I think we have to think macroeconomics for a second to kind of zoom in on this and, and also the long-term economics of real estate, right? And I always tell people, you know, people ask me, why are you not in crypto? Why are you not in the stock market? Well, you know, there are three basic needs, three of humanity. That is food, that is water, and that is shelter. I will invest in shelter all day long because no matter what ups and downs, no matter who's doing what in the country or the world, we're always going to need a place to live, right? So, and, and not all real estate satisfies that box. So we'll get to that later. But I would say that again, because you know what? You guys need to use that line because listen, yes. everyone asks us all the time, what is the real estate market doing? And you guys need to type down these notes, type it in the chat, what you hear him saying. Say that one more time. There are three basic needs of humanity, food, water, and shelter. People will always need a place to live. Granted, not all real estate checks that box, but it's not going anywhere. Yes, things will ebb and flow, but we'll get into why that is. And But residential real estate, folks, you're always going to have to have it. Mm -hmm. That is so good. And that would be such a good response to people of why they need to be investing in real estate instead of in the stock market or instead of in crypto and all of the other things that they have the choice of doing. So what are you seeing as far as commercial real estate goes and residential real estate nationwide? Sure. And so I think, you know, people are trying to rationalize to themselves, you know, sellers of real estate are looking for yesterday's pricing. Buyers are looking for 2008 pricing. We're somewhere in the middle, right? Guys, we're not in a buyer's or a seller's market. We're in a lender's market right now. Okay. So the problem is not, the problem has nothing to do with fundamentals of any real estate out there, with the exception of office. And we'll touch on that. that that's still kind of a lingering pandemic problem. But if you just think about, you know, all the different forms of residential or unit based real estate or even triple net lease and things like that, you know, we're dealing with debt problems right now. So there's a lot of, you know, when people use debt to buy things, especially in the commercial real estate world, there's various products. Of course, in residential, you have the 30-year mortgage and the 15-year mortgage, right? Which is pretty stable. Those who locked two and 3% interest rates, they're feeling great right now, right? But those who didn't, those who maybe have a floating rate or an adjustable rate mortgage or in the commercial space, the term bridge loan, which is like a, a short-term loan they can use to fix up a property and then roll it to a 
you know, a long-term loan like a Fannie or a Freddie or something like that, those loans are maturing. Uh, those loans are on variable rate debt, which means, guess what? It's a spread over an index and all those rates have shot through the roof. Like we're not talking about a little bit of movement. We're talking about one of the short-term indices that is commonly used went from 0.5 or 0.3 to 0.5 to like 4.5. That is over a, like an 800x change in the economics of a deal. And so the problem is the fundamentals of real estate in general, especially commercial real estate, multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, you know, and even in the single family space, they haven't changed that much, right? There's still not enough product out there that people need for the space they're looking for. We're still trying to build a whole bunch of industrial to accommodate the e-commerce nation that we're moving towards, you know, uh, and, and I'm going to touch on office in just a second because that's a unique bird. But in general, the problem that we're seeing is people are fretting about their loan performance. Some things are now paying four, five, 10 X what interest rates they were paying before. And so they're in trouble with the bank. We don't want to get into mass default and, and changes there so that the option is, well, gee, I can go into default with the bank or I can sell it for, for a marginal gain or maybe a loss and get out of it. And so any price disparity or price you know, uh, decreasing that you're seeing right now, it's got nothing to do with the health of the market. It's got to do with people who made poor financing decisions, right? And that's going to continue to happen for probably another year or two until we see the Federal Reserve level out the interest rate, which they're going to have to do. And I'll give you some hope on that if we get to it. So overall, the real estate market is in great shape. The problem is just a short-term problem related to debt that we're dealing with. Yeah, I, I like what you just said. And I, I think that'd be a really good video for you guys to explain because I think everyone has heard of a buyer's market. They've heard of a seller's market, a buyer's markets where the buyers are control are in control. They get homes for less than what the sellers want to sell them for. There's usually a larger number of homes for sale. And then a seller's markets where there might be multiple offers for the same property. But what you're saying is right now we're in a lender's market. And what that means from what I'm, I am assuming is that the lenders are making the rules, not the buyers, not the sellers. It's the lenders who are controlling the property market today. Because they're deciding, okay, if the interest rate goes up, then, you know, it's been so volatile that it could be 7%. Then all of a sudden it's now 5%. Well, that's where the lenders are all making the rules. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's absolutely right. And, and you know, the, the simple way to think about it is as interest rates go up, the buying power of an individual goes down. Like I can afford less house as an individual with a $100,000 income at 6% and then I could at 3%. I can't, I, can't, I can't pay for that amount of mortgage per month anymore. So we already have a housing shortage. We have people who are already priced out of the market, but let me give you a little bit of premonition of, of just to drive the point home. To prove to you that, that there is not a problem with the fundamentals and, and the people wanting to buy homes, it's purely lender driven. Here's what's going to happen. Okay, we've already seen you're not getting 25 offers on houses in most areas anymore. You might, you're still getting offers in most places that are healthy. They're still moving, but you have less people willing to buy right now. Well, they're all thinking, hmm, you know, these rates have doubled in like a year. I bet they'll go down in a year too. I'm going to wait. And so guess what's going to happen? As soon as we see any relief in interest rate, everyone's going to leap off the sidelines. Prices are going to skyrocket because now we have 4X the demand for the same property pipeline that we have. 
we're going to be right back in the same situation, right? So as soon as the public decides, okay, we're in, we're, we're not in like doomsday environment anymore. And even if that rate is 5%, if the public decides, okay, they're stable, I'm not getting a better rate for the next 10 years, probably I'm going to go buy. And the demand is going to come back like a swoon. So I, I bet you the argument is go tell your clients, like, look, as long as you can stomach the interest payment right now, don't get yourself in cash flow trouble, but as long as you can stomach the interest payment at 6% and refinance it later, you're going to get a better buy right now because prices, I promise you, are going to shoot right back up as soon as the rates, you know, st stabilize. So you guys, this, if you can write down these notes and do a video on this, this would be really fantastic for your business. So I want to talk about the attack on the dollar globally and how us explaining to people how buying hard assets is the only way to protect yourself is the way to go. Explain how you would explain that to a buyer and seller and explain in the easiest way that you possibly can of what's going on with the attack on the dollar globally. Yeah. So there's a couple of foundational marks that I'm going to give you. And I'm not going to do a dissertation on this because I've spent like half my life studying this, but I'll, I'll give you two names, well, one name, first and last, Ray Dalio. It's a great individual to go YouTube, check out the stuff he's got out there. You can watch, you can go down wormholes about this stuff, but he has some really good explanatory videos of why the Fed is doing the things that they're doing. So simply put, a long time ago, we took the dollar off the gold standard, it means there's no longer one piece of gold for $1 in the vault or whatever it was, right? Now, we the, the federal government has the ability to print and reduce the money supply at will to control the economy. Again, not going to go into why, just know that they can. They have two levers. The people in the Federal Reserve Building have two levers. One of them is interest rates up and down, and the other one is printing money in or out, right? I can put money into circulation. I can take it out, right? All those things affect supply and demand. Money's too expensive. People stop spending, and they say, gee, I don't want any more debt. Money's super cheap. People are like, oh, it's free money. I'm going to get all the debt in the world. I'm going to put my eyeballs in debt, you know, because it's cheap. So you can stimulate the economy with this lever, but then you can also stimulate the bank's willingness to lend because the Federal Reserve, they don't buy things in the market, really. They buy assets from banks. So what a bank can do, as soon as the Federal Reserve says, I'm going to push this lever and print $10 trillion or whatever it is, that money goes to the banks. The only thing you need to know about this system is for every dollar the bank has in the system, they can lend out 10. So now if I just put 10 trillion into, into a bank, they can now lend out 100 trillion. Well, guess what? They're super eager to go make cheap home loans, car loans, all that stuff. That becomes someone else's spending money. They can go buy cars, houses, boats, you name it, right? So those two levers are all we're playing with. Well, let's zoom even further out, even further out globally, okay? After World War II, we became the world superpower, period, the end, right? We forced everyone to trade oil in, and all sorts of other things in U.S. dollars, which means all the other countries around the world, they are reliant on the success and stabilization of the U.S. dollar. For a long time, that's been great, right? But the rest of the world, is, has, since about 2014, started banding together and has kind of been getting fed up with our willingness to say, look, we're in a, we're having a rough time at home in the U.S. So we're just going to go print $4 trillion and kind of deflate our currency and stimulate our economy. And we'll be fine in a year. But think about everybody else, the ripple effect, like the peso, the, 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 the Chinese yuan, anything else who has to like 
convert their currency to U.S. dollars to then play with another country, right? All of a sudden, they get hurt as well. Well, they're sick of it. And so you've probably heard this thing called BRICS in the news, B-R-I-C-S. And that is Brazil, India, China, Saudi Arabia, like these major other players in the world have kind of started banning uh, Russia as well. I'm sorry, I forgot the R. They have kind of been banding together and saying, you know, gee, we're tired of being dependent on the U.S. dollar. They're not being very, you know, candid with us and they're not they're not being nice to us with how they handle their dollar. We're tired of it. So they're tired of trading oil in dollars. You're starting to see Russia and China do that on the side. You know, as well as a lot of other commodities. So what's happening is other superpower, other superpowers, other powers are banding together and they now account for about 45% of the world's population. And they're kind of, they're, they're really doing everything they can to stop trading in the U.S. dollar. So what happens, right? Is World War III going to break out? Probably not, right? But what is going to happen if this continues and they continue to get more and more influence on what we'll call the World Bank and Economic System? is in our lifetimes, we very well may see, yes, someone, I just saw someone type economy war. What, what will happen is the world will no longer trade things in the US dollar, which means we're no longer the world reserve currency. We'll still have the dollar, but no one else is going to really care what we do with the dollar, right? So the problem is we can't just, you know, do things like print money to inflate away our national debt or anything like that anymore. So that that's the that's the risk on the US dollar. Well the problem then becomes and this is the final point you need to be thinking about hard assets right now. And I don't mean like no paper assets, not stock market, not cryptocurrency if you know what you're doing, right? But not cash. The problem is if we have inflationary events like we've just experienced over the last you know 2 or 3 years but we're not the world reserve currency. We can't print money and print our way out of it or raise interest rates and raise our way out of it. The rest of the world won't care. So what'll happen is our currency will inflate, which means it takes more dollars to buy the same widget to go buy eggs, for example. But wherever we're getting our eggs from, if it's not locally, it's still going to cost the same. So basically we're going to get in a situation where the dollar just rapidly loses value, right? That's the risk right now. So there, the world is waging war on the dollar. You know, we've had the world reserve currency status for a long time. And my final point is if you go look at Ray Dalio, like I talked about, he has a great dissertation on this if you, if you, you know, have four hours to read it. But basically, we're going to get to a point where we no longer compete as the dollar. And, you know, every currency in the history of man, every single one, has collapsed after 97% devaluation from the onset. We're at about 95. So it's just part of history, the cycle of life. Cash is not the place to be storing your wealth right now. Make mm. sense? Yes. And now a word from our sponsor, Canzel Realty. Run your business your way only at Canzel Realty. You can have all of the freedom with none of the standard real estate red tape. As an agent at Canzel, you'll have the ability to be on a 100% split with no yearly or monthly tech fees. You'll get access to revenue share and stock award options top-tier leads program options, access to a local broker in every major city instead of just one for the whole state, a local circle leader to help you and your business, access to incredible national speakers and training, an unmatched suite of free technology. At Canzel, you get the best of both worlds. All the technology, revenue sharing, and equity awards of a national firm combined with the close-knit feel and support of a local firm. Build your real estate business your way, only at Canzel Realty. 
Well, let's talk about rentals because I have a bunch of rentals that I've paid off, which is great, but they can still be a nightmare. I think last month I ended up spending about $5,000 on, you know, one needed a new fridge, one needed a tree pulled out of the ground, one needed, you know, the the tenants needed this and that. I mean, it's just one thing after another that needed to be fixed, a new hot water heater and so forth. And so one of the things that people are doing is they are investing in larger assets via syndication or what we call a private equity fund or a REIT. So I want you to explain how we can teach people what is, first of all, what is a syndication um, and how, what are some of the pros? But I also want you to talk about the cons of investing in that, that form of real estate. Great question. Great question. So, you know, to kind of ease into it, the, a lot of people will aggregate some money, you know, they'll have like, for example, in in your worlds, you'll, you'll make a bunch of real estate commissions by crushing it out there, doing what you do, moving property. And then you say, okay, I'm going to go take some of this. I'm going to go buy a single family rental. Cause that, you know, me as an individual, that's probably all I can afford to do. I can't go buy a $40 million asset. Like we're going to go talk about in a minute. So we buy this house, right? And, you know, a, a well-to-do individual sells it to us or we do the research ourselves and, and, and we apply as much knowledge as we have and try to bookkeep for taxes and repairs and maintenance and all sorts of stuff, right? You might even hire a property manager. Well, here's what you're going to find. And, and some people have made a lot of good passive income doing this, and they, they, but they look at it as a business and they spend their time making sure, okay, I've got good tenants in there. I'm screening them. I'm, I have someone handling the work orders. I have, you know, like all the stuff you have to do to make the resident's life enjoyable. So they stay and refer you and all that kind of stuff. Well, what an overwhelming majority don't do and don't realize is it's not just buying a house and then having mailbox money. You're going to have to deal with keeping that house leased up. Residents move about every two years on average. So they're at least going to move every two years, probably after the first year, right? The problem with a single family home that I've experienced personally is I don't have economies of scale. What does that mean? I have one roof, I have one HVAC unit, I have one, maybe two, three sinks, right? I have one set of appliances. And so if something breaks, I'm paying market rate for everything. I got to go you know, pay the, the consumer price to replace the thing, right? That broke. And I probably just wiped out my cash flow for the year unless I have put enough money in an account to, to offset stuff like this. I may also have to deal with the, the like you said, the, the, the issues that the resident have. And I promise you residents are needy. They just, they just are, right? You know, they, they, they demand respect and, and care and, and all that kind of stuff. And you have to give it to them, right? Um, God forbid you get a non-paying tenant because you didn't do your screening. It can take you six months to get that person out, depending where you are, especially if you don't know the process. So, you know, that's kind of the, the way people get into it. Now, talking about investing in larger commercial assets via syndication, all a syndication is, is we just, we pull a bunch of money together into one bank account that's controlled by the operator and we go buy a really big asset together, right? And so you would like, for example, instead of taking $100,000 to buy a home, a single family home that you own and operate and do all the things for, you would buy a portion of a, say, 20, 30, $40 million apartment building. So it serves the same purpose. Now, here's the benefits of that. Economies of scale. I now might have 200 residents instead of one. What are the odds they all move out at the same time? Unless you're just really bad at running the building, it's not going to happen, right? You're going to always have about 95% occupancy in that, in that apartment building. 
So your income stays much more steady. I now have the ability, if I'm going to go renovate something and increase the the rental um, rate for that unit, I can go buy 200 uh, sets of appliances, for example, right? My roof is going to be bigger, but it's going to be broken out among a bunch of of income streams. So I I get like, it's going to cost me probably half to buy things for that building that it would if I was doing it for a single family. Management. Professional property managers, I can't say this enough. Professional property managers do not bother themselves with single family homes unless you have at least 50 of them, right? They just don't. So at best, if you hire a property manager, you're going to be one number of 30, 40, 50 that they run. So you're not going to get a lot of attention. You have 200 units. You're going to hire the best in the business. You're going to be able to afford construction teams. You're going to be able to afford, you know, all the the, the superior maintenance out there. Like the building can just support a well-oiled machine, right? And so your operations are going to be amazing. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, so overall, the benefits of that is you, you have someone running the project for you. It might be a stabilized project, meaning there's not really a whole lot of like construction to do. It's just, okay, we're just going to slowly over time raise the, the rent with market and and keep the cash flow coming. That return, that risk is lower, so that return is lower. If you go into a project like what we do most of the time, where we're buying something saying, hey, we're going to go and renovate every unit over a two-year period and increase rents, you know, two, three, four, five hundred $500 to market, whatever it's worth after you renovate the unit once the person moves out. You put a new resident in there paying, you know, for a much nicer product that amplifies your value. Like every dollar you get back in income from a new lease, that will amplify your value of that building by 15 to 20 times. Okay. So it's an incredible use of capital to get 15 to 20 X on your money. Right. So you get all that benefit from being part of a group investment. Now, what are the downsides? You have less control. So you can't pick up the phone and and order a tenant out. You can't uh, decide to sell your share, you know, and you can't just take your home to market if you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. So you don't have those kind of buying and selling decisions. Um, but other than that, you know, and, and I guess the, the third part is you have to be, you have to make sure you're good at choosing the right person and choosing the right market because before you go invest in apartment building A or commercial building A or self-storage building A, you need to meet the person or the team who's running it. Make sure that, I mean, they're a fiduciary. Make sure you believe they're going to return your money first and then return it with a multiple, come back, come back with friends. You know, And as long as you can put your faith in the right person and know you selected the right person, the rest will take care of itself. You can continue being awesome at what you're doing and making more cash to invest rather than trying to do both. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does because especially people who I have a property manager for all my units. Um, and I really think that's the way to go. Even if you are a real estate Agreed. agent, you can do it yourself. To me, that's just not a good use of time or energy. But the nice thing about using a real estate syndicate is that they're taking, they're getting multiple entities, they're pooling money. So I want you to kind of make it as simple as possible. So let's just say, just for easy math, okay? Um, And I know you guys are probably buying like $40 million, you know, apartment buildings. But let's just say for easy math, you did a $4 million apartment building. And let's say each person put in $100,000, which I know that's probably not realistic. But let's just use that for funds. Um, what 
would kind of that return look like? What what are some of the downsides someone should look at? And I wanted you to talk about, you know, if someone looks at like whether it's a deal, like we talked about whether it's a deal market sponsor or sponsor market deal, explain that. Absolutely. And that's a great question. So in a in a typical apartment building syndication that's already built, so you're buying something that's maybe built in the 80s and needs to be renovated and brought to market over time, your overall return, you should be looking at, you know, just about doubling your money in five years, right? And so that's about a, a anywhere from a 15 to 20% annualized return after all the cash flow, after all the sale proceeds, after you get your money back, when, when it's all said and done, you should be looking at about 15 to 20% per year, depending on risk, okay? If you're looking at a development deal, sometimes people do the same thing and they'll go in there and like build something from the ground up with, with investor capital, right? That's a much riskier situation. And so for that, you should be compensated. You should be seeing something in the high 20s to 30s annualized when all said and done. Now, you will not see cash flow for three or four years. Just deal with that. It takes time to get it out of the ground, get it approved, all that. So, you know, simple math, you know, a, a good investment opportunity is doubling your money in five years. So if you write a check for $100,000 into an apartment syndication and that operator goes and does what he's supposed to do, operates it for a year, few years and they sell it to the next guy, you know, a renovation has about a five-year shelf life. You guys know that, right? Um, yeah, it was, and so basically you can, when it's about time for your renovation to be redone, you go sell it to the next guy, let him come in with new money and redo it. And that's kind of how the cycle works. And that's how we keep that's how we keep investment going in the real estate world and we keep old product alive so we have housing for the whole country, right? This is a huge service we're doing by pulling our money together as friends here to, you know, to really serve the housing market, if that makes sense. Yeah, so that is, a, I think that is a big downside. Like one of the things that is important, I believe, is to find investments where you are getting cash flow. And so if you buy a residential property, that is one of the benefits. So if you've got five rental properties and they're each bringing you $2,000 a month, you've got $10,000 of cash flow. And I think we all know the benefits of having cash flow coming in every single month instead of going, crap, I just got to wait, you know, four to five years and hope that I'm doubling my money. So that is that is a and that's the development that you right? need to discuss about as well. Right. The development would be a four to five years before you see cash flow. And a, you could get cash flow on an apartment as well, probably more stable, but then that cash flow is going to grow over time as it's renovated. So cash flow is absolutely part of the equation. And to add into that, Chantel, you should be expecting, you know, somewhere between six and 10% on your money of that. 15 to 20 we were talking about, you should be seeing six to 10% of that annually in cash flow coming to you. Okay. Right? So you're yeah. saying that most of the places that you're that you're talking about, you would be getting you would be getting cash flow in addition to right. doubling your money. Right. Right. So would that be on a monthly basis or a yearly basis? Or how does that work? Yeah, most syndications that I know of, they do it quarterly uh, simply because you you get you need to get three months of financials, check the history because there's some cyclical nature to it. And then, you know, there's a big accounting effort to send distributions out. And also there's kind of an approval cycle. So that's usually you see some do it monthly, but most do it quarterly. So good. Well, I think we have a lot of content here that you guys can take and use. and 
make videos to get people to, you want to have the knowledge and be able to share this. I do want to remind you, I think the best line that you said today, which I love, I'm going to start using that. I'm going to be saying it all the time. I'm going to say, every person needs food, water, and shelter. That is hands down, you all need it. And so if you can invest, oh, I know I wanted to ask you one last thing about office space before we end. So what is your opinion about people buying office space and commercial building that's more on the retail end? What do you think is going to happen there? You know, retail is no longer in trouble. Uh, I just recently watched a Green Street report. I think retail, retail is a safe bet now. You know, retailers have bounced back. That's great. Now, commercial office building, I fight myself on the urge to go start buying now versus trying to figure out where the bottom really is. You know, we're not going to, here, here's what's going to happen. We're not going to abandon all these offices. Some some of the older office is going to get converted to multifamily because that's a need, or it's going to get converted to hospital, no, hospitality, um, medical office, right? Hospitals, right? Medical office. Now, what's, what's going to happen? You know, we've been waiting for the labor market to loosen up a little bit. It's similar to the whole concept of buyers and sellers market. Right now, it's a labor, it's a worker's market, right? Versus an employer's market. The employers can't get all the jobs they need filled, filled, and the workers have their pick of where they want to go. So basically, all, all of the, the, the users of commercial office space have kind of had to say, look, you know, since the pandemic, we've just had to cater to where the talent is. And if they want to work remotely or part-time, whatever, I do think the future, the, the average future of office is part-time work, maybe a couple of days in, a couple of days out. And so there's going to be more of that like flex workspace where you can come in and get a desk and work for three days and then go home or something like that. Um, but it's not going away. And so the question is really the nicer office is going to survive, the newer stuff, the older stuff's going to get converted. And then we're going to have a rebalance of, of supply out there. And I think those who are sitting on a lot of cash, you know, are going to be able to kind of time when the market is the lowest, buy up a bunch of the stuff, do something cool with it, and then we're going to have a new normal. So I don't think we'll see the the usage of office that we did before. But as soon as people start to like not be super secure in their jobs and and the the uh, you know the employers have the upper hand, that's when you're going to see a little bit more return to work lifestyle. I think. All right. Well, this is in great. Type in the comments where people can actually go ahead and tell people where they can find you and where they can follow you. Yeah. So I am on all the socials. Um, I'm just typing this here. So Ch- sorry, that is not right. Chadsutton.info. So you can find me at chadsutton.info. All my socials, all my links, my podcasts, they're all there. You can Google us, uh, Quattro Capital, or visit us at thequattroway.com. But if you if you forget nothing else, chadsutton.info has everything. Uh, and we'd love to have a conversation with you if we can help you in any way. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And we will see you guys next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.